Praise the Lord, everyone. Praise God. We're, we're getting started. We're not gonna. We're not gonna wait till seven oh five or seven ten or seven twenty. <laughs> Did he start the recording? Well, praise the Lord. I guess we're recording dead air. <laughs> well, welcome to week five of the uh, "What Must I Do to Be Saved" series, subtitled "One God Salvation." Uh, we'll start with prayer. For all the sessions, the speakers, of course, tithe, offering, and uh, those in need of prayer. Lord, we just come before you and thank you for one more chance to be in your house, one more chance to hear your word, one more chance, Lord, to, to rub shoulders with the brethren of like precious faith, one more chance that we might bind together as one man in the street in perfect unity. And I ask you to put your hand on each of these series, lead and guide and instruct according to your perfect and pure will. Bless the offerings to the furthering of the gospel and every soul that gives. And I ask you to bless in Jesus' name. Everyone say in Jesus' name. We're, we're moving on in. Our opening text, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that you might do them in the land whither you go to possess it that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that you may increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And, they shall, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And I shall write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. I'm very happy to see a lot of men in here. Praise God. Bam. Be a man. Let's begin talking about sin and the effects of sin both on the person who sins and on those around them. <clears throat> For sin does not just affect one person, but it can affect everyone. It can be a domino effect literally upon other people around and we'll talk about repentance, remission of sins, the plan of salvation, and these will take us through today and the last session next Wednesday. The Word of God declares that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans chapter 3, verse 23. And again it's written, for there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 20. And why? Just paraphrasing. For all have sinned, and that sin can be clearly seen as sin. Romans chapter 7. In the world, some see another, or even their own kids, lie or cheat or steal. They just do something mean. And um, they mask it so it's easier to entreat, so no one's feelings get hurt too bad. Our culture in 2021 is just uh, too stinking hung up on worrying about feelings instead of ministering the truth of God to the subverting of the hearer. Everyone say amen. amen. 
some saying that things like you shouldn't do that or that isn't right or that isn't a good thing instead of calling sin what it is. Sin is sin. And no sin can enter heaven. So if any be prone to getting their feelings easily hurt, then just put your seatbelts on for the next hour because we're going to be talking about sin. We're going deep today into the effects of sin and the necessity of seizing the space of repentance while the window of opportunity to repent is still open. So let's first define what is sin. Sin and variations of the word such as sins, sinned, and sinneth have quite a few meanings in the Hebrew and the Greek. Uh, the following are just an outline of a few of these. Properly, it means to miss the mark and so to not share in the prize. It means to forfeit and it means to lack. So, for example, to miss and forfeit and lack the purpose and will of God in this life. To miss and forfeit and lack revivals, outpourings, miracles, signs, and wonders. To miss and forfeit and lack both physical and spiritual healing. To miss and forfeit and lack the opportunity to hear the still, small voice of God, for the ears can be muffled by sin. To miss and forfeit and lack the prize of eternity in heaven, and everyone say, Lord, help me in my home. It's not worth missing heaven over a little bit of leaven. It's not worth missing heaven over a little bit of sin. It also means to bear the blame, for the one who sins is alone guilty of that sin. No other human being can make another person sin, and the devil cannot make a saint sin. And it also means an offense, sometimes habitual sinfulness and its penalty. And it means sacrifice. Sin can cause a person to sacrifice, to give up and lose what was rightfully theirs. Sin, and last sin, means harm he or she hath done. Offend, offender, and to lead astray. When any saint sins, then this not only affects the saint, but also the church. And the body suffers when one person sins. And it affects the saint's ability to witness to a lost and dying world. For the saint's light is hidden under a bushel. And by the saint sinning, those around can be offended. Offenses will come, but woe unto him through whom they come. St. Luke chapter 17, verse 1. And by the saint sinning, this can lead others astray to either lose faith in their being true Christians or that there's no power with God to overcome sin, or that the sin the saint is doing is okay for them to do. Does this make sense so far? The effects of sin. Let's take a look at the first acts of sin in the earth. God gave one commandment to Adam. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 through 17. Then God creates a wife for Adam. Adam sees her for the first time. Gets all googly-eyed, instantly turns from I am a man to a drooling puppy. Adam falls in love, and everyone say, aw. Okay. And what does Adam say? He looks at her and says, whoa, man, and she's named woman. Okay, That's how it happened. And the wedding bells of bliss carry on in the home of Adam. As it is written, whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22. This brings us to the very first act of sin by any human being. 
uh, we'll start at verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, which represents lust of the flesh, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, which represents lust of the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, which represents the pride of life, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Now before this point, Sister Eve is doing all the talking with the serpent. And Adam is silently listening, allowing his wife to be the spiritual voice for the family. This poor drooling puppy, who, do, who is head over heels in love with his wife, is following a motion to please his wife instead of first obeying the still, small voice of God. And this, brothers and sisters, still happens today for men who have not grown in spiritual maturity and for women who desire to lead in the things of God. So this resulting in Adam, the man of the house, the priest of the home, Adam brings sin into the world. Verse 7, the eyes of them both were opened, they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Sin reveals the unrevealed. All the while, humanity all too often looks for how to hide their sin, how to cloak it so it is not easily seen by others. Verse 8, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Unrepented sin, brothers and sisters, can cause distance from the Holy Ghost and from the holy things of God. And it can hinder the person's ability to pray and their ability to effectively pray and fast. Verse 9, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Meaning, do you understand spiritually where you are at this very moment because of your sin? Verse 10, And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Sin brings fear to this due to the state of where the person is and of impending judgment. This can be a good thing for it means the person's conscience may not be seared. So there's hope. But to run and hide from God is not what we must do. But we must boldly come to God as soon as we know we have sinned. So to abase ourselves in repentance and that we might receive the grace and mercy of God in time, meaning in the space of repentance. For that space will not stay open forever. For once God closes the door, no man can open that door. Verse 11, and he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Meaning, what voices are you allowing to speak spiritual things into your life? This is good. Hast thou eaten of the tree? Wherefore I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat, meaning, what are you allowing in your tabernacle of holiness, in your body, your temple? And what are you allowing in your tent, your home? Verse 12, and the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. God already knew what Adam and Eve had done, for he sees all, he knows all. There are no secrets to God. I think we all know that. He knows the uprising, the downsetting. He knows where we're faithful. He knows where we're very far from faithful. He knows if we pray without ceasing. He knows if we're worship. He knows if we're fasting. He knows. There's no secrets. But the Lord asked Adam three specific questions. These having several purposes, one of which was three chances to repent. But Adam unwillingly employs two critical thinking errors, deflection and victim stance. Deflection is when confronted about sin or fault, 
the person changes to focus to another in hopes of removing the lens of examination on self for their failures, and they offer another person up as a sacrifice in their place. Victim stance is the person portrays themselves as the helpless, poor, pitiful victim. These give a partial picture, a marred picture of the situation to reinforce their stance, and these take no accountability for their culpability, but it is always someone else's fault, for they are just the fragile and poor and helpless victim. And that poor, pitiful me spirit can be changed to victorious me. It's really good that it's raining because that's going to flow perfect into this message. I mean, like really perfect. I was going to ask Brother Gary to give us sound effects of rain at one point, and this is great. But Adam, when confronted by God, does not repent. But instead, he takes the victim stance to do what? He blames the woman. It, it wasn't my wife, the woman. Okay. Can you imagine his wife's heartbreak when as they both stood before God, her husband speaks as though she was nothing to him when she said, it's the woman. She would have been utterly broken in heart. Adam could have protected and shielded his wife, but he did not. Adam could have said, I'm to blame. I am the head of the house. The buck stops with me. Okay, Men, I, I'm just really glad a lot of men in here because the buck stops with us. Period. He could have said, just punish me and not my sweet wife. But he does not protect or shield his wife at any time. And Adam further deflects to blame God for the whole thing when he says, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. It's all your fault, God. Verse 13, and the Lord God said unto the woman, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. Sister Eve got one chance to repent. And what does she do but to follow her backslid husband's example to take the victim stance and blame the serpent? though the serpent was truly guilty at all times. But Eve never repents for her part. The sin of Adam brought swift judgment on himself and his wife and his heritage into all. Genesis chapter 3, verses 15 through 19. Sounds a lot like Achan in Joshua chapter 7. One man's sin. As it is written in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. Wherefore, as by one man's sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but, when, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. There are so many scriptures we could talk about around sin. Here are just a few and we're going to move forward. The obvious sin. The very things that we know good and well we do that we should not do. We were as Paul spoke when he said, For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. Romans chapter 7 verse 15. Again, Paul said, I die daily. It says perpetual repentance. Perpetual repentance and submission to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 31. There is also the unknown sins where a person can sin and not know they're sinning. Numbers chapter 15, verse 28. And the priest shall make an atonement for the soul that sinneth ignorantly when he sinneth by ignorance before the Lord to make an atonement for him, and it shall be forgiven him. 
This is the place for the five-fold ministry and make intercession for the church as a whole. This happens today as it did throughout the Bible, and this is done for both known and unknown sins. It does not remove the necessity that each person repent and work out their own salvation with fear and trembling, but the men of God must stay sensitive to stand between the porch and the altar relentlessly for the church as a whole. This is a place where Jesus said, there is a place where he said, if you were blind, you should have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remaineth. St. John chapter 9, verse 41. The word blind in the Greek means to be physically or mentally blind. And another place it said, for if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. And John was pretty bold about sin, rightly dividing the word, because this all goes, flows back to what Paul talked about in Romans chapter 7. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not, and whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. 1 John chapter 3, verse 6. And John also says this about sin in the same book. 1 John chapter 1. Verses 7 through 10. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. That's pretty clear, huh? Again, it's written about exceeding sin, but sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. Romans chapter 7, verse 13. So let's talk about the effects of sin on the person who commits the sin, and on their family, and on the others, okay? This brings us to what was said earlier about swift judgment due to the sin of Adam, and how this sounds a lot like Achan in Joshua chapter 7, one man's sin. At Jericho, there was a great victory for the people of God, but before the walls of Jericho fell, the people were warned to not take of the accursed thing lest they make themselves accursed. That was in chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. In the next battle at Ai, the children of Israel only took about 3,000 men, for it wasn't a big city. It was expected to be a short battle for these valiant men. Chapter 7, verse 1 through 4. And while this proved to be a very short battle, the outcome was nothing like the people of God expected, because about 36 of our brave warriors uh, died in that battle. And the people of God had to flee from the enemy, an enemy who was much weaker than the children of God. Why? Because one man sinned. One man in the church sinned. One man in the church sinned. I hope someone hears that clear. Joshua began to seek the Lord for why they lost the battle. Joshua chapter 7, verse 10 through 11. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up, wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? This is the same as God spoke to Moses. It was not a time to stand still, but a time to move forward. Exodus chapter 14, verses 10 through 16. So we find in verse 11, God says, Israel hath sinned. 
And they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them, for they have even taken of the accursed thing, and have also stolen and dissembled also, and they have put it even among their own stuff. So let's rightly divide this verse. God said, Israel hath sinned, but it was Achan alone who had sinned. Yet he was of the church, of the body. And when one sins, then God sees the whole body. For the body has many members, but it is one body. Then God says, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken of the accursed thing. God says they repeatedly, but it was Achan alone who took the accursed thing. Once again, it's the body. Achan taking the accursed thing infected the entire church. Then God said, have also stolen. What Achan did at Jericho was theft. And we cannot take the spoils of war unless God says we can. Then God says, and dissembled also. This means to lie. The same as we see in the book of Revelation, maketh a lie. For Achan made a lie in his subtlety when he brought the things out of Jericho and when he brought the things into the camp of Israel and when he brought the things into his own tent and when he buried it in the tent in his, in his own tent. And last God said, and they have put it even amongst their own stuff, for Achan brought that sin into his own home and buried it in the earth. So Joshua rises up early the next morning, brings each tribe and family before him, and the Lord shows him it was Achan who had sinned. Achan made confession, and men, the men brought the things he had stolen, which had defiled his home, his entire family, and the church. And because one man in the church sinned, about 36 of our brothers had died at Ai. These men died, and their families were left missing husbands and missing dads, all because one man sinned. Compared to 2021, this is 36 warriors of faith, 36 intercessors. 36 of those who prayed and fasted often, 36 valiant men who fought the good fight of faith, all dead because one man sinned. Sin will always take the person further than expected. Unrepented sin is a deep well, a black hole that swallows everything the person holds most dear. And it sucks the life out of others who are affected by that one person who sinned. So if you allow just a few minutes, let God show you clearly that day with Achan, his family, and Israel, the very fruit of sin. You can hold your paper, set it down, whatever you feel comfortable. You have the notes, and there's no fill in the blanks for the next few pages. So this, brothers and sisters, is the fruit of sin on self and the innocent bystanders. It was on that day that Achan had to look deep into his wife's eyes. It was the very last day of her life. And all Achan can see is this was the woman who gave him many sons and daughters. She bore the deep marks and scars of delivery so that he had a heritage and that his name would continue. This woman who put her trust in her husband to protect her and their children from all harm and shame and reproach. This woman who trusted her husband to be the priest of the home, to guide their family in the way they must go to be saved. This woman, who was innocent of this sin, was about to suffer because the man of the house coveted, longed for, lusted after, burned in his heart after that which was forbidden. At first, his wife and children would have felt the sting of sin of Achan, 
those around looking, pointing the fingers. You know how people are, you know, always rumors and gossipers, and there's always people who stop in traffic. Aiken, Aiken's wife looks across at other wives, you know, her friends, and all she can do is hang her head in shame. For when you're married, you're no more two, but you're one. If the wife sins, it affects the husband. If the husband sins, it affects the wife. You know, they're no more two, they're one when you get married, okay? His sin meant she would bear it even though she was innocent. And his children, who at one time could boast about their dad, who was a warrior for the Lord, now have no pride for their dad. And these kids, all they can do is look at their friends who all stand at a distance from them. But the judgment of man was nothing compared to the judgment of God. Can you see the face of Achan's wife and his children? Judgment was pronounced from God that because Achan had sinned and taken the accursed thing, that he and all he had must die at the hand of God for the hand of God to reside on the church again. Neither will I be with you anymore except you destroy the accursed from among you. Joshua chapter 7 verse 12. You see the stones hitting his wife? She's beaten, bruised, and bleeding. She did nothing to deserve this. She's wreathing in pain all because one man sinned. As the stones are hitting Achan, he tries to cover himself, but there's nowhere to hide. Judgment was pronounced, but at that moment, Achan hears something distant, and the sound is grieving for the stones hitting his kids. Dad, what were you thinking? Dad, can't you apologize and make it right? Please stop this, Dad. It hurts so bad. Dad, please do something to save us before it's too late. And our kids are depending on us. Gentlemen, our kids are depending on us. But it was too late. Aiken had a space of repentance. He could have repented the very moment the thought entered his mind before he took anything. But the man of the house did not repent, but he brought sin into his own home, thereby condemning his innocent wife and his innocent children. The end is all Israel stoned them and burned them with fire, Joshua chapter 7, verses 24 through 26. Why? Because one man in the church sinned. One saint brought evil into his own home thinking it would be a secret, but there are no secrets to God. One man's sin affected the entire church, and so many suffered because one man coveted that which was forbidden. We see the same irrevocable judgment pronounced on Adam and creation, as Achan and all he owned, also in the days of Noah. God is grieved by the sin of the world, and he pronounces judgment. All flesh of the earth will die, but Noah finds grace in the eyes of God. Genesis chapter 6. Noah and his family are building the ark according to the exact plan God gave, except the Lord build the house. They labor in vain that build it. Psalms 127 verse 1. And as it is written, by, fo by faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, preparing an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. So Noah's righteous heritage being with him, his dad Lamech, his granddad Methuselah, these men were spared and taken off the earth before the flood. As it is written, the righteous perisheth, and no man layeth it to heart. And the merciful men are taken away, none considering that the righteous is taken away from the evil to come. Isaiah chapter 57, verse 1. 
So can you see the days of Noah? Ark's been preparing for many years. Can you hear the words about Noah? When you hear these words about Noah, think about your pastor. Noah's preaching. Repent, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It's going to rain. It's going to rain. Do you know it's going to rain? God is sending a flood to destroy mankind upon the earth. Repent while there's time, for the day is coming that there will be no time to repent. There will be no more altars in one day. Save yourselves from this untoward generation. But can you hear the people murmuring, what's this rain stuff, Noah? It's never rained before. What are you drinking up there in the pulpit? No, we have no time to listen to you. We have weddings and feasts to prepare for, a lot of good home cooking. Why don't you just stop all this and come and eat and drink with us? Come to our daughter's wedding and feast with us. But at home, there's a family at dinner table talking over supper, you know, preparing a scorecard for how the preacher did that day. What do you think of that Noah guy? Says it's going to rain, whatever that is. And who builds a boat that size on land so far from the ocean? He'll never get it in the water. Dad, what's a flood? It's nothing, son. Just some man talking. Mom, what's an ark? It's nothing like your dad said. We don't always have to do what the preacher says. If God was going to talk to a man, then he could talk to your dad just like Noah says. God talked to him. You can trust us that your dad and I know what's best for you, for each of you. And we'll never do anything to hurt our own kids. But at that very moment, something happens. The door of the ark is now closed. Mercy for a great many is over. And judgment begins. And then a drop of rain falls. And then another. And then another. And at first the people are not sure what to think of until it becomes a great outpouring of waters from the heavens. And now water is also coming up from the earth and they are being sandwiched in water. There is nowhere or way to flee from the water. Some climb up trees, but it's futile. The water keeps rising. Some go the hills, but the water keeps rising. Some go the tallest mountain, but there's nowhere to run from judgment. The waters keep rising. At the very, this very same time, the family from the dinner table makes their way to the ark. They're knocking on the door, begging, Noah, let us in. Can you hear him? He cannot open the door. For God, for the door God opens, no man can shut. The door God shuts, no man can open. Dad calls out, Noah, we believe the gospel you were preaching. Now we're sorry for our sins. Please let us in. But Noah cannot open the door. They had a space to repent, and this is past. Dad grabs a stick. Mom grabs a rock, but they cannot pry the door open. And the water is to the knees, and they pick up their kids. Dad and Mom are now frantically clawing at the door of the ark, their very fingernails ripping off, stuck in the door of the ark. The waters keep rising. Dad and Mom put the kids on their shoulders to try and save them. There is death all around them. All the while, Dad and Mom hear the tears and terror from their children and everyone else that's still alive. But in that very last minute, they hear something, the voice of their heritage, their children. Dad, why didn't you listen to the preacher instead of talking about him? 
Mom, you said you knew best and that we could trust you. You and Dad said you would never let anything. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 19 through 21. By which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometimes were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a-preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure, whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, it had never rained on the earth until sin got to such a level that the tears of God poured out from the heavens. Tears poured out over a people God created who utterly and completely forsook him. A people who corrupted, which means ruined, the earth and themselves. Genesis chapter 6, verse 11 through 13. And today in 2021, there are often times when it rains that it floods back in. This is the tears of God pouring again because of the great sin that's in this world. Can you imagine... You know, a dad, a mom bringing their kids in, and then their kids completely abandoning them and forsaking them and cursing them, destroying the family name and heritage. What's that doing the natural to us when our kids rebel? How much greater does it do to God what we do to Him when we aren't faithful? So, knowing that we are all sinners and there's none righteous but God alone. And all are in need of salvation brings us to Romans chapter 5, verse 19 through 21. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So think about deliverance. Water can either save or destroy. In the natural, there must be fluids, water for the body and the organs to function. And we know in the Bible, uh, men did fast 40 days, no food, no water, and men should do this today as well. Everyone say amen. And even Moses fasted back to back 40 days, 80 days, no food, no water. But this can only be done by God keeping the person and their organs functioning as he designed them. Outside of prayer and fasting, a person must have water to survive any long length of time. Now we know the enemy seeks to try and mimic God. And if it be the enemy, God's greater. The book of Revelation, chapter 12, verse 15 and 16 the serpent cast out water is what? A flood. Out of his mouth after the woman, but the earth swallowed up the flood from the dragon. Now we see a place, we see Noah and his family, the same water that saved them was destruction to the rest of the world. The like figure wherein to even baptism doth also now save us. And when we look back at Moses as a baby, his mom took an ark of bulrush, daubed it with slime and pitch, Sounds kind of like what Noah made. Moses was saved by water as a baby. Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. As a man, Moses led the children of God through the Red Sea on dry ground with a wall of water on the left and the right. And the same 
And the same water that was protection and saving grace for the people of God became a complete destruction to their enemies. Exodus chapter 14. We'll go to the New Testament and see what God says about this water salvation. There was a man named Nicodemus who had a question in his heart about salvation. And Jesus told him, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And in this same conversation, Jesus said, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh or whether it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. St. John chapter uh, 3, verses 1 through 8. So we see a common theme in the Bible. And while the words did not come out of Nicodemus' mouth, it was unmistakably what he wanted to know. And we find those words in the mouth of the jailer in Acts chapter 16, verse 23 and 24, when he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? This is the echoing question from the foundation of the world, even to today, for a great many. The disciples told the jailer, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Then they spoke the word of God to him, the plan of salvation, and they were baptized. But what does it mean to believe? It is to have faith. Now, if believing is all any needs to be saved, then we find in James chapter 2, verse 19, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. While it's clear that the devil believes, but he cannot enter heaven just because he believes. But we do find the following about the waters of baptism. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. Mark chapter 16, verse 16. Now when we see he that believeth not shall be damned, this goes back to Adam. For God gave him a simple plan of salvation. Don't eat of the tree. It's pretty simple, huh? One commandment. It's all Adam had. There's your commandments. Adam had one, okay? So, praise God. And the days of Noah and the days of Moses and the great deliverance for both, for all that did not follow the exact plan God gave, perished. This was mentioned earlier. God gave Noah an exact plan for the ark, for the plan of salvation. And Noah's job was not to question it or to circumvent what the plan he felt was better. And hear this in the Holy Ghost. Noah and Moses alike, their job was not to dissect what God said to find all the what-if scenarios so as to find another way into heaven. But their duty, and everyone say, my duty. Their duty was to do exactly what God told them to do. That echoing question, what must I do to be saved? Do you see the model of the series? Intentionally, the disciple that sat before the Lord for this asked for a one God salvation series that wasn't the normal message of Pentecost. We hear Acts 2.38 all the time. We know it. We know it. It's ingrained. You can quote it. Your kids can quote it. But there's a lot more than Acts 2.38. Acts 2.38, Acts 2, chapter 2, verse 38 alone is not the whole plan of salvation, but it is unmistakably the beginning steps. There is much more we must do. The oneness of God is seen from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. The plan of salvation is seen from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. So I truly pray this is blessing you. Let's continue. Wait, 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 Brother Tex. So I hear that question. 
Can you first show us Acts chapter 2, verse 38 in the Old Testament? In the past weeks, you said the Old and New Testament flows in perfect harmony. Well, of course. I'm so glad you asked, and there was no need to prod you to ask. So, so just a disclaimer, what I'm about to deliver to you is not all that could be delivered. But we've got 20 minutes. <laughs> Praise God. So you're getting a meat. But there's a whole lot more that you can get from this. Um, so in 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah is dealing with a bunch of heathen prophets. A people that I cannot think of anything nice to say about who they just won't live for God. And they're following every wind and doctrine, being easily turned by the latest shiny object. Verse 21. And Elijah came into all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God... Two opinions. Yeah. How long halt you between two, two, two opinions? Yes, sir. You're fine. If the Lord be God, follow him. If Baal, follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Bunch of cowards. Verse 22. Then said Elijah. I have a righteous indignation right now, okay? <laughs> Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I, only remain a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Of course, the Lord has many prophets in reserve. But Elijah did feel alone that day, but not spiritually alone. Verse 23. Let them therefore give us two bullocks, and let them choose one bullock for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire under it, and I'll dress the other bullock. And lay it on the wood, and put no fire under. Verse 24. And call ye on the name of your gods, and I'll call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, it's well spoken. The heathens could not get their lowercase g gods to answer. No surprise there. And then the prophet of God called the people close. Verse 30. And Elijah said unto the people, come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. This is the first step in the plan of salvation, the altar of repentance. To understand where we are in life, the things that are broken and dilapidated in us and our lives. And that we must have our altar repaired. For in the beginning, the altar was not broken until Adam allowed sin to enter. And today... Men unwillingly break down their altars every time he sins. And the altar must be prepared, repaired in tears of repentance, surrender, and sacrifice. Brothers and sisters, sin in our lives breaks down the altar. And we'll be talking more about this next week uh, when we go deeper into Acts chapter 2. Let's go to verse 31. And Elijah took the 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. The twelve stones represent the twelve tribes of Israel, which is the church, for the entirety of the church must be on the altar and not just part of the church. And it is the church, the sons and daughters of God, the stones, the people of God, the lively stones, they become one with the altar. For the altar is a witness to and against the world. Verse 32, and with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord 
and he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. We must remove the past dirt in our lives to move forward with God. Everyone say amen. Lay aside every weight and the sin. This is the cutting away of that which is of no use and to make way for that which is new from God, a new and living way. This lays foundation for what comes in the next verses. Verse 33, and he put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood and said, fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. The altar of sacrifice unto God has a specific order. This is why we see in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, that the people had to first humble themselves and pray and seek his face and turn from their wicked ways. There's a process, things we have to do first. It was then that God would hear from heaven and he would forgive our sins and then heal our land. Verse 34, and he said, do it the second time. And they did the second time. So they poured the next four barrels on. He said, do it the third time. And they did it the third time. And they did another four barrels, 12 stones, 12 tribes of Israel, four barrels, three times equals 12 barrels, 12 apostles, 12 gates and 12 foundations in heaven of which is our eternity, our, our entry into eternity. Verse 35, and the water ran about the altar and he filled the trench also with water. Now the altar is prepared, all things are in order, and completely surrounding the altar on every side is the waters of baptism. So can you see it now? Acts chapter 2, verse 38. This is step two, the plan of salvation, being born of water, baptized in Jesus' name. All must go through the waters of baptism to the throne of God for salvation. All must be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of sins. Verse 36, and it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things at thy word. Verse 37, hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. Step three of the plan of salvation, being born of the spirit, being filled with the Holy Ghost and fire. Let's dissect this, this last verse a little deeper. Just as the water spoke of earlier, which represents baptism in Jesus' name. This is salvation for the one that believes and obeys the gospel, the good news, and to the one who is not baptized in Jesus' name or ref and refuses this truth, there is destruction. So is the same for fire. The fire of God fell from heaven as judgment against Sodom and Gomorrah for their great wickedness, Genesis chapter 19, and also as judgment against the Egyptians in Exodus chapter 9. But the fire of God and other examples is a confirmation that God did accept their sacrifice. And we see this repeated in the Old Testament. Moses, uh, there was a flame of fire in the bush that drew close. And there's a typo there. Close is the correct word. So he could know the way of salvation. Exodus chapter 3. David built an altar to the Lord. And after he prayed, fire fell from heaven and consumed his sacrifice. First Chronicles chapter 21. 
We see the same for Solomon when he prayed, 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Because the word accept was mentioned, we must briefly address the question and move forward. Can a person accept Jesus and be saved? Or accept him as their personal savior? No. Questions answered. That was simple. Any questions? Okay. Simple. The exact word accept is in the Bible 25 times. Half from, for when man is accepting another man's repentance and so forth. And the other half is when God accepts or does not accept the person and their sacrifice. There are no scriptures where anyone ever accepts Jesus. There are no scriptures say Jesus is anyone's personal savior. All that's the world's church, and it's not us. Let's continue, verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the, Lord, the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. Now, the fire of God falling on the repentant person and on the saint's prayer is a direct sign from God that he has accepted their repentance and their sacrifice and their prayer. In this very verse, we not only see the sacrifice accepted by God, but we see a prophetic message about the last days. For the last holy fire from God will be the catching away of the bride and there will be no more space for repentance. There'll be no more waters of baptism. There'll be no more altars. Even the last form of the earth will be no water, no more seas. Revelation chapter 21. Why? Because today is the day of salvation and hope. Tomorrow is not promised for any of us. There's no guarantee any of us are going to make it home tonight. There just isn't. We're not promised anything except the very moment we're in before the presence of God. And this is our space of repentance, our time of repentance. There, will, um, there is none who know the day or the hour that the Lord will return, not even the angels, but God alone knows this. And today, God is our tender and merciful and compassionate Savior who is patiently waiting with great long-suffering, just like he did at the days of Noah. But in that day, that last day, he is judge of all and who can stand before the Lord. We see the fire of God falling uh, in the Old Testament, but let's see where this is in the New Testament. St. Luke chapter 3, verse 16. John answering said unto them, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of his shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Brother text, what's the difference in Holy Ghost and Holy Spirit, or are they the same? This is actually something that a disciple spent an overwhelmingly great amount of time in prayer and study about. So here's just a few of their notes. The word holy and the word spirit in the Bible, 21 in 21 verses in the Bible. And of those 21, seven of them have holy and spirit side by side as in Holy Spirit. Of those seven verses, only one verse has uppercase H, holy, uppercase S, spirit, as in Holy Spirit side by side. So there's just one verse in the Bible. The other six are lowercase h in holy, which is an attribute and not a title. Uh, the one verse in the Bible that says Holy Spirit is St. Luke chapter 11, verse 13. If ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? Matthew. Matthew is at this same discourse, <clears throat> and he quoted Jesus as saying in Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, If ye then being evil... Know how to give good gifts unto your children. How much more shall your Father, which is heaven, give good gifts to them that ask? 
The exact title, Holy Ghost with uppercase H, uppercase G, is in 89 scriptures in the Bible. It's said two times in Acts chapter 2, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 19, verse 2. So a total of 90 times God says Holy Ghost, a total of one time he says Holy Spirit. So Acts chapter 19, verse 2 flows with salvation. So he said unto them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. God says he'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. There are no scriptures about being baptized in the Holy Spirit or Holy Spirit and fire. God says he purchased the world with the Holy Ghost purchased us with his own blood. But there's no scriptures about the blood of the Holy Spirit approaching us, us, purchasing us. And God says blasphemy against the Holy Ghost should not be forgiven unto man. But there are no scriptures about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. So much could be said about the words, world's adoption and cleaving to one over the other. But the question to you do you not feel the difference burn inside you when you hear or say Holy Ghost versus the other? That, brothers and sisters, is the unity with the Holy Ghost. It is the same. Um, it's the same as when you hear the preached word. You know, it comes forth and something burns inside of you. You feel that connection inside of you. And uh, you just physically feel it. I lost my place. I hit a button on the keyboard. Brother Gary, praise God. I do appreciate you setting up the laptop. I really do. But I hit the wrong button. So let's speak about one more um, plan of salvation scripture. And we'll pick up with the fire of God next week. And what the fire uh, and the plan of salvation is today. Isaiah chapter 28 verses 10 through 12. For precept must be upon precept. Precept upon precept. Line upon line. Line upon line. Here a little and there a little. Precept upon precept, then repeated, is the commandments through the entire Bible that interlock and connect in perfect harmony. Line upon line, and then repeated, is the cord connecting the precepts in the span of time from the Old Testament to the New Testament and to the fruition of all that is. Here little and there a little of those who refuse the truth of God and the apostate who will fall backwards and be broken. Verse 11, for with stammering lips and an unknown tongue will he speak to this people. Verse 12, to whom he said, this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. So I put a few notes here at the end. We didn't get to last Wednesday. And I thought this would be good to end the session talking about this question because it's something that a lot of people have asked through the years. Um, and I'm sure there's others in the room that have been asked this, but there's people who have come to me many, many times, more times than I can count, because they were concerned they had done this sin. And uh, so I want to talk just a little bit about this, okay? What does it mean to blaspheme the Son of Man, and what's it mean to blaspheme the Holy Ghost? St. Matthew chapter 12, verse 31 through 37. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. But the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Either make the tree good, and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt, and his fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by his fruit. O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, bringeth forth good things. 
and an evil man out of the tr evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. And just to piggyback there, if you will, we're accountable for the words we say. We're accountable for the words we don't say, that we were supposed to say. Is that good? Because sometimes we should be that bold as a lion, but we hold back. So there's a, that's a two-edged sword there. Blasphemy in the Greek has many meanings. Here are just a few related, and these are specific to evil against God. Vilification and evil speaking. Railing, which is speaking against impious, and saying that is a rumor to hinder, injure, or hurt. Those that blaspheme the Holy Ghost are the same ones who the Lord speaks about who will fall away in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4 through 6. And this is a specific scripture that folks have come to me with quite a few times. For it is impossible for those who are once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, to renew them again under repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. And this scripture isn't saying if you commit a sin, that means there's no space for you. This is a completely different text. It means it has a completely different meaning. To fall away means to apostatize. And apostasy means to forsake or renounce the faith and leave the truth of God for another way that is not truth. An example to follow the plan of salvation, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Having the revelation of salvation, that God is one, his name is Jesus, but to turn to another faith that is not truth and even opposed to this truth. Good example, to go from this truth and become a Buddhist. That's an apostasy. To go from this truth and become a triune believer. I don't even say the word. It's such an abomination. But that's, that's an apostasy. You can't go from oneness to go to believe in duality of God. That's an apostasy. Is that clear enough? Okay. Uh, to speak against the Son of Man, which is humanity, can be forgiven. But to speak against the Son of God, which is the Holy Ghost, which is our redemption, which is our salvation, which is our inheritance and eternity in heaven, this can never be forgiven. For those have left their inheritance in such a way that they can never be renewed. These are blotted out of the book of life as it is written, St. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 and 23. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. For he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils, and thy name done many wonderful works. And then while I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. When God blots them out, he's blotted them out. There's no remembrance of any good. There's a scripture, and I didn't add it in here, and I apologize, where he talks about, the person that goes there, all their good, when they commit the trespass, is completely wiped away forever. And it's gone. It's as though they never did anything good in their life. It's all erased. 
Brothers and sisters, you can pray for anyone on the planet, but never pray for the apostate. God will not hear, for they are blotted out once they apostatize themselves. So just a few references. 1 John chapter 5, verse 16. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 8. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 through 2. Titus chapter 1, verse 15. Uh, and I've read those off for the recording's sake, for any that listen to the recording. So be at peace in Jesus' name if this thought has crossed your mind that you might have done the unforgivable. Know this, those that are truly apostate have no desire for truth. They are blind and deceived to believe a lie and their conscience is seared. And they would avoid this series like a plague. They are too busy saying and sowing rumor to hinder, injure, and hurt the innocent. And this, brothers and sisters, is the heartache of God. For the apostate work to turn others from the truth of God with their delusional lie. But know this, for saints who struggle with sin from time to time, or maybe just have some hard days and seasons where seemingly God cannot hear you anymore, if you're here and listen to the, or listen to the recording and believe this truth with all your heart and feel, the, feel that tug at your heart from the Lord to draw ever closer to him, then there's no apostasy in you. Be at peace in Jesus' name. Our caution is to reiterate about the mark of the beast from last week. Brothers and sisters, it is impossible for any who are full of the Holy Ghost and fire to be deceived to take the mark. It is simply impossible. But our duty is to live a life of perpetual repentance and to stay what? Full of the Holy Ghost, a vessel full of oil. We went a minute over. I apologize. Please forgive me.